Thanks. All right. First of all, thank you guys in the band so much. It's awesome to always get to worship with you guys. And to have that ability with you guys is so great. And to look out and see you guys worshiping is just awesome to see, especially when you're sitting in the back and just see everyone participating like that. So if you had not heard, my name is Cole. I'm one of the interns here, and I'm over in children's ministry. So I don't see you guys as often as I see the little guys over there, but I do lead some seventh grade boys, so I get to see you guys every so often. So that's me. That's my internship. I'm going to school out at Fort Hayes State University, which is literally three hours west of here. I'm going into my junior year, but I chose to come back here and do the internship from there, so that's been my summer so far. Some of my hobbies I love to do, I can get very competitive, so anything sports-related that involves Frisbee, yard games like spike ball, or any ultimate Frisbee, anything like that, I love to do. And I especially found that out this past semester where we had some Frisbee, and we were out on campus, and I found out that trees really don't like me. So many times I've hit a tree or ran into a tree or got cut and bruised up by a tree by running into it or climbing it or something of that nature. So trees, I learned, are not very forgiving. So I advise you, if you are going for a Frisbee, don't dive into a tree head on. So, and also, speaking of forgiveness, you'll have to forgive me for this one. So keeping with the theme of pickup lines, I've got one for you guys. So see someone, they catch your eye, you go up to them, and you say, if we were back in the time of Noah and the flood, you know, I think you and me, we're a pair. Don't forget the finger guns. You got to do that when you're saying it. Yep. All right, so now let's float back over here and get into what we're going into. So Psalm 32. (laughs) Psalm 32 is what we're going to be diving into tonight. And we're doing that because this past semester, it jumped out at me and hit me pretty hard. So it was a great semester, don't get me wrong. We had lots of great community time, great time with friends, great school, classes were solid, and it was just a good time overall. But that is not to say that there weren't troubles. There was definitely sin present, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about. There was sin in my life, things like pride, sexual immorality, jealousy, and just not taking them to God and storing them up in myself and just doing nothing about it. So in this psalm, verse, the middle section is what jumped out at me. I was doing a devotional, and this is what I saw. They jumped out to me. We're going to talk about that tonight and see the message that David has here. So the problem that I found was I didn't do anything about the sin that was in my life, but I found out that I knew that God could do something about it. I could do something about it by going to God who can take those away. So there's a way to take that sin and that weight that is on your shoulders that comes with sin, because you carry a burden if you keep your sin in your life. So let's jump in. We're going to start and kick it off just with a bit in verses 1 and 2. We're going to dive in right here. So it says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So immediately right here, we see two words back to back. And I actually lined up perfectly here. Blessed and blessed. So what I'm going for here, blessed what I found was some translations. So in the Greek, makarios is the Greek translation, meaning happy and fortunate and blessed. And in Hebrew, ashar, happy, blessed, and prosperous. And now if you'll notice again, there's a repetit- repetition there, happy and happy. So I want you guys to hold on to that as we get into it. We're going to come back to happy later on, closer to the end. 
So another place you see blessed a lot, if you know Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, many of those start with blessed. And the word Beatitudes itself means to be blessed. So that's where that comes from. So in this passage, we have David acknowledging his sin is forgiven by God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, and who the Lord counts no iniquity against. So God's pushed all that aside for David, and he's taken it to God knowing that it's gone. So these two verses are important because it highlights the rest of the chapter. So I want you guys to look at these other prayers in here. So we have transgression and forgiven. We've got sin, which is covered. And we've got iniquity, which is not counted. I'll go back and show you guys that. So we've got those two pairs. So remember that. So that gives us a kind of an outline. So uh, let's pray. And we're going to dive into the meats of this chapter. Dear Lord, I just come before you tonight and give this night to you. I pray that you'll speak through me and just push aside any nerves or any fear that I may have and that your word will be the one spoken tonight. I pray that your love and just grace will be shown tonight and that you can be on the hearts of us all as we see what your word has to say and that we can take this into tonight and into this week and whenever, knowing that you love us and you want to forgive us of that. I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we have the first two verses. They sound great. Blessed, blessed. All the things are pushed aside, forgiven, covered, not counted. So then it changes. We have to switch over in verses 3 and 4. So we've got verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So here we see David illustrating what happens when he didn't take his sin to God. It was welled up inside him. He was suffering. He was in pain. He was wasting away. And he felt this weight of God's hand on him. So now, there's one phrase at the start. For when I kept silent. The phrase I want to highlight there is kept silent. Kept silent. That's sounding like David, no, yeah, David knew what he was doing. He was keeping that. If you keep something, you're knowingly holding on to that. So here, David kept silent. He didn't go to God. He knew what he was doing. He was withholding that from God. And because of that, he was feeling these aches and pains and this wasting away. His strength was sapped. Now, when we think of God's hand, generally, it's uplifting. It's comforting. It's supportive. But in this case, it's the weight and the pain that David was feeling. But on the flip side, this shows that he was a son of God. This sin was in his life. It was holed up inside him, but he was being convicted by it. The Holy Spirit was working in him, knowing that it was there, and it was putting this on his mind and wanting to bring him to light. It knew what was happening and wanted to bring him back to God so he could seek that path of forgiveness. So think about this, like a little analogy here with soup. If you're making soup, you've got a recipe you generally follow. And I don't know about you guys, but I definitely do want to follow analogy, follow the recipe because I leave the doing it out of the book to my mom. She's great at that. I, can't have, to, I have to follow a recipe, otherwise it's not going to work. So ingredients are in a recipe, but there's also the timing and the temperature. You don't want to leave soup on the burner for too long. It may get too hot. It'll start boiling. It'll get, lose its flavor and all that. So the boiling lets you know that it's getting too hot. So you need to address it. So just like this with David, if it sits in you for too long, that conviction that the Holy Spirit is giving you, that's telling you that you need to address it. God wants you, wants to call that to your attention, so you address it and bring it to him. So this suffering that David endured, the weight he carried, was all on a man of God. David was a man after God's own heart. 
So let's see what he does next. In verse 5, he comes to God because of what he was holding. So, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So here we see right away he acknowledged his sin. He didn't keep it in himself anymore. He brought it to God. Acknowledge means accepting or admitting the existence or the truth of. He didn't cover his sins. He acknowledged them. He confessed his transgressions, and he was forgiven. Iniquity was not covered, and God did not count it against him. So he didn't hide any of this from God. He exposed it all to God, brought it all to God, so he could take it from him. And that's where we get those words. Forgiven, not counted against, and covered by God. So we have a call and response here. David calls out to God. He brings it to him, and God responds with these forgiveness, with this forgiveness phrase. So then, in verse 6, we've got prayer. Prayer is so important. Prayer is our avenue to speaking with God. If we seek God, then we're going to receive from him. Because we don't want to go without prayer and seeking God. Because if we just sit there and expect something to happen, it's not going to happen. We have to seek God. It's not going to happen on its own. Now, this is something that I experienced, like I said earlier. I held, hold up everything inside me, didn't take it to anyone, just left it there. And it hurt. It brought me down. There were times when just days would go by and I would just feel this grief, this guilt of what had happened and what had gone on. And I don't want that to be something that happens again to myself or to you guys if you're dealing with that. This is something that you can take to God. Because I knew that when I brought it to God, I didn't need to worry about losing my foothold and falling. So verse 7 says right away, a hiding place. A hiding place. You think of shelter. You think of comfort, of safety, a place where you can feel secure. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we have this safety in God. And we go to him because of it. We have to go to him. We can't expect something to happen. So this point here, forgiveness, it's not something you work for. It's not something you can earn. You have to take that step to receive it from God. He's ready and willing to give it to you, but you don't have to work for it. All you have to do is bring it to him and seek him, and he's there to give it to you, and you have to receive that in him. Okay, so I just read Colossians 3. So, when our lives are hidden like that in Christ, like it said, I'll read that one more time. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we are hidden with Christ, that means we're stepping back. We're becoming invisible. We're being hidden, and that's allowing Christ's image, Christ's figure, to be proclaimed and glorified. Because if we're back, we're there to show Christ in our lives. This is a place that we can go to feel loved and comforted. We're kept from the trouble that the devil throws at us. If he throws it at us, then it means we're living a Christ-like life. A Christ-like life is one that comes with trouble. It's not going to be easy. 
Because when Christ is in our life, if anything, the devil is increasing his efforts to get to you and not let you seek him. So, in your guys' families, we have our fathers. We've got God our Father. And when you think of comfort and safety, generally the first thing that popped in my hand, into my head was my father. So if you think of a father's love for his son, that's probably one of the strongest loves that I know. Because you've got a father who has his son who's going to continue on that family. So when we look at God here, he sent his one and only son. So think about that for a second. I think this is something we see all the time we talk about, and God sent his son. So this is a father. He sent his one son who he loved to die for us. So think of the bond between a father and son. God literally sent his one son for us. So this past weekend, I witnessed a father's love. So there was a baptism I was able to go to this Saturday at the five o'clock service afterwards. And there was a little boy up here. He was being baptized and he was sharing his story. And I was sitting just up here in this back row and his father was up here in the front recording him. And as he was sharing his story, he was terrified. He was crying beforehand. He was scared of what to do, but he stayed strong. He shared his story. And I saw his father. He was recording. As soon as he started sharing, his father just broke down and started crying. And I could see right away that was a father who loved his son. He was proud in that moment. He saw the steps that his son was taking, and he knew that he had a son that he loved. So that love is something that God has for us, because he sent his son to die for us, because he loved us. That same love. Christ is our brother. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So, now, there's that. Verse 8, we keep going. So I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule, without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So in this verse, we transition. David speaking with God's voice to his people. And we have three words on there. Instruct, teach, and counsel. Three different variations of providing wisdom and learning and knowledge to us. So teaching, and then it says, teaching in the way you should go. So God has it planned of where we're going to go. He knows beforehand. He knew what we were going to do in the next seconds, in the next day. He had it all planned out. So counsel, as it says there, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Another translation for counsel and others was the word guide. So when you think of guide... That's someone who takes you and shows you the path to take. Make sure you don't veer off. Make sure you stay on path. And then with my eye upon you. Think of a parent. They're always keeping their eye on their kids. If they're out in a busy place, they're going to make sure they know where their children are. They're not going to lose sight of them. Otherwise, if they do, they get worried. They get frantic. And they want to go find them as fast as they can because they don't want something to happen to them. This is the way for God. He's always keeping his eye on us. If we start to veer off path... In comes that conviction again and to draw us back because he doesn't want to lose us. He wants to hold on to you. So now, we've got this thanks that we give to God. He loves us. He seeks us out. So then in verse 10, it shows us what we receive and what we do to give thanks to God in that. Okay, before we go there, God sets your path. Your life is a path that you're on that God set. 
But you can't start on that path until you take the first step. If you stand back and just wait for something to push you, nothing's going to happen. God wants you to take that first step. He won't let you just go on your own. He wants you to take that first step before he steps into your life. By seeking him and approaching him and seeking out that relationship, then you can get on your way to living that Christ-like life. If you take that first step, believing him and going down that path that he set before you. So now, continuing, verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So, right away, many, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Now, the sorrows can be interpreted also as lashes or troubles, in other words, sins. So those who defy God are faced with this. Many are the sorrows, many of the troubles, the lashes. Looking back to verses 3 and 4, the groaning, the wasting away, the weight of God's hand on him. These are what the wicked, those who follow the way of the wicked will experience. Now then, the alternative continues. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And now surrounds, that's a word when you think of all-encompassing. There's not just one point that you can look at. It's all-encompassing. There's no spot missed. You're surrounded by everywhere you look. It'll be there. Surrounded. You are in a circle of that steadfast love. See, God knows the sorrows and troubles that we all deal with, the sin that's in our life. If we let that simmer in us, then he's not going to ha be happy. He's going to grieve in that because he wants us to not experience that. He has that steadfast love, and it's made available to us when we seek him and trust that he'll take it away. Now the fun part here, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now this is a call to praise. Be glad, it's a command. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. So we want, this is where that happiness comes in that I was mentioning earlier. If we're happy and rejoicing, then that is what God wants. He's done all this for us. He's forgiven us. He's given us so many things. He sent his son to die for us. So why not rejoice and be happy and be thankful for what he's done for us? Be glad, rejoice, shout. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is Paul speaking, and he repeats it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. So the importance there is if we sit and do nothing, then it's just going to go by and have no meaning. So if we, but if we address this, then it's going to have meaning because God sees that he's impacting our lives and sees that we're appreciating it and loving him for it. And then lastly, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. All who have received his steadfast love, you're called to stand and praise and shout with joy. There's joy in being forgiven. And that's a joy that I felt. The sin that I held, the sin that I hold up, I gave to God, provided to him, and sought his forgiveness. And that joy I felt because it had been lifted off my shoulders. That weight was gone. I didn't have to go on about just feeling that every day and knowing that it was still there. I knew that it was gone and God had forgiven and taken that away. So, Happiness is something 
As long as far as in my experience, I would much rather be happy than not happy. It's far more exciting to go into your day with a smile and happiness rather than the opposite. So Jeremiah 1.4 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, many of you have probably heard this. God knew us in the womb. Knew us before we were here. Knew you guys before you came into this world. And in that time, in that knowledge, he had a plan for what your life was going to be. You came into this world. You began that plan. And finding him, let that plan continue. And he always has it ready. For those that may not know him, he has it ready if they come and seek him. He wants them to come and find that path. And we are called to rejoice with them and rejoice once we get on to that path. So, with forgiveness, what we've been talking about, it has to start with you. And it does start with you. And it ends with God. The sin is in our life. We are the broken ones. We are the hurting ones. We are the sinful ones. We're the sinners. God is our salvation. He's the forgiving and inviting one in our lives. So we start. We have the sin. So that's one start. The second spot, we have to take it to God. We have to take that step, seek him out, and then God will give that forgiveness and give it to you and know that you're loving him and coming to him. In this story, David... He was a man after God's own heart. He fell into sin, harbored it within himself, kept it there, and suffered because of it. But as soon as he brought it to God, that weight was lifted. He was forgiven, and God was glorified. Now, a quote by Timothy Keller says this, Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things that we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. Now, my favorite part of this quote, I heard it when we were doing a book study with all the other interns. Bill Horn mentioned it. And this, in the middle there, it says, it is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. See, prayer is our communication to God. And when we pray to God, he knows that we're praying to him. If we sit back and, let nothing, and do nothing and expect something else to happen, God's presence isn't there. But when we go to God and seek him in forgiveness and seek that from him, then he knows when he provides that to us that we will know that it was he who provided. Because otherwise, we're going to think it just happened and we won't be able to glorify God through that. We'll just think something happened and there was no presence of God there at all. Now one... Other point that I haven't hit on too much. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 12, sorry, in verse 5 through 11. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful, rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the point I've passed over is Christ. God sent Jesus to die for our sins, to die for our sins. That forgiveness when he sent his son to forgive our sins, that was a divine judicial forgiveness. Now the forgiveness that I've been pressing tonight is more of a father's forgiveness. He loves us as his sons and daughters. So everyone look around you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ all around you. They may be present in your life continuously. They may, may be just here tonight, but they're still your brothers and sisters in Christ. And despite how vast sin is and how many of you guys there are, I guarantee you there's some sin that you all share in common. Now, because of that, though, it's that much more important that you bring it to God. Because when God looks down and sees so many of us that may be carrying the weight of sin, he doesn't want that for us because he sees so many of us. But he's given us the people and the resources and the word and his love to push us away. And we're given that so we don't let sin take hold. We're given it so we turn to him and seek his forgiveness. So my challenge to you guys is seek that forgiveness. Don't do what I did. Don't hold that up. Hold that in yourself and let it just stay. Because another thing, it is never too late to take your sin to God. He will always be there ready to forgive you. There's not a point you reach where there's no going back. But God loves you. And he always has his eye upon you. And don't forget that. He wants you to go into this world and live a God-like, a Christ-like life with your brothers and sisters in Christ without the weight of sin. And he can do that by forgiving you. You just have to take that first step. So let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, tonight was for you, God, and I pray that we can go from here just knowing that you are there to take off that weight of sin. The sin that we have in our lives, we can take to you and ask for forgiveness, and you will provide. And I pray that we can look around, be close with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and just come alongside each other to seek that. As we go into the rest of this night, I pray that you can just work on our hearts and just go from here knowing that you love us. You sent your son to die for us, so we have no worry of being struck down and fall in the light of sin. I pray that we can go from here knowing that and letting that change the way that we walk. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.